Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. I'm in awe of the musical achievements and the musical life of my next guest, especially his most recent remarkable musical project. He marks a milestone this year in a truly blessed life. He turns 50, which seems to me to be a very good excuse to have him join us on Open House and track through his life from a kid growing up as a church minister's son to a world-class musician, composer, conductor, mentor, entrepreneur, even rev head. James Morrison, welcome to Open House. <laughs> Thanks very much. We prefer to use the term motoring enthusiast. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, but we are in Australia. Exactly. Can we begin with this most, and as I said, remarkable project? When everyone thinks James Morrison, they say, okay, yeah, trumpet. But it's not that simple, is it? Take us through this project called Snappy 2. Well, of course, I play lots of other things besides yes. the trumpet. And, and 20 years ago, uh, I, I recorded an album called Snappy Doo, so named it was the, the name of a song that the great bassist Ray Brown had written. It was on the album, so we made it the title track. And this album was Ray Brown on the bass, Herb Ellis on the guitar, and Jeff Hamilton on the drums, surely one of the best rhythm sections you could put together anywhere. Yes. And uh, joined by myself, uh, making it up to a big band. So that meant four trumpets, four trombones, five saxophones, and piano. Uh, great fun, and it went very well. In fact, the album went gold quite quickly, and we said, we were, it was so, so good, we've got to do another one of these. We'll do a sequel. And as is the thing, I don't know how your to-do list is. Mine, uh, <laughs> don't look, I can't leap over I think it. mine's still got Clean the Garage on it. But, um, <laughs> but it's taken 20 years to get around to wow. doing the sequel to Snappy-Doo. I've made many other albums in the, in the meantime. And I think the reason for that is that uh, each time I'd look at this project, it's so big to do, yes. I'd go, not the moment, I haven't got time, I'll, I'll do that other album. And uh, sadly, in that time, Ray Brown and Herb Ellis have both passed away. And so I got together with Jeff Hamilton and said, we're going to do the sequel to Snappy-Doo. Who do we get on bass and guitar to replace Ray and Herb? And we very quickly, of course, said, well, no one could ever replace them. Yes. And if it's going to be a sequel, in the true spirit of that, it should be the original band or whoever's left which means just Jeff and I. So I had to get out the double bass and brush up the guitar chops and uh, cover those chairs, and away we went. So on this album, I'm playing four trumpets, four trombones, five saxophones, uh, piano, bass, guitar, and then on a couple of the tracks, there's some banjo and clarinet as well. So That's what uh, I say, I'm in awe. How do you do that? Oh, look, it's... <laughs> You just blow down the middle and move your fingers up and down on the outside. Oh, that doesn't work with a guitar, does it? No, no. Look, I've always played all these instruments. And uh, as a youngster, I just I liked the sound they made. I mean, I was playing the cornet in the brass band is where I started. Yes. I heard the, the trombones and said, oh, I've got to do that. Yeah. And then when I first heard jazz saxophone, I said, oh, as if I'm going to go through life and not play that. It was kind of like that. It wasn't to choose to be a multi-instrumentalist. I didn't even know there was such a term. I just heard these sounds and said, oh, I've got to make that sound. And How long did this take? Well, um, once we got going, um, because I, it is such a big project, I couldn't do it all in one go, and that's why I think it's taken so many years. And I finally got the idea, you do a couple of days here when you can, and then I'm off on the road again, tripping around the world. And when I come back, I'll do a couple more days and just get it done. Over a period of about three or four months, I put it down. I don't know. I should have kept track of how long in the studio yes. each time. But, you know, I can get down a, a big band track probably in a little over half a day. So the advantage here is, think about this, a lot of the tunes I wrote, all of the arrangements I wrote, so I know the parts, so really it's just a matter of roll tape, as they say, oh, there's no tape anymore, is <laughs> no, it? No, no, roll tape and, gone. And, and, and play each part, and there being 16 parts mainly that I was playing, if it's a, you know, a five-minute song, 
Yeah, you should be able to get that down in half a day. And as if it wasn't complicated enough, it's <laughs> recorded cross continents, both in your own studio yes. in well, Australia and in yeah. LA. Once I got all the band down by the drums uh, in my studio in Sydney, I then grabbed the hard drive and uh, headed over to LA yeah. and said to Jeff, play to this. And one of the amazing things about that is the drummer's job in a big band, in a swinging sort of style big band, is to drive the band. And he really pushes them around a bit and moves it around and makes it feel good. Now, he can't do that when the band's oh. already down, but he has to, he must sound like he's doing that, even if he's not. It was quite funny. Halfway through the first take, I'm thinking, here I've got arguably the greatest living big band drummer playing on my album. I'm thinking, this is great. And I've got it all down already. I'm hoping he likes it. And he's playing and he stops halfway through the first take of the first song. Just stops. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> I sort of went cold and he said, this band's not listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> Phew. Oh, must be an he, awesome thing to watch him. Oh, yeah. But he um, he, he just uh, put it down and made it sound like he was there with the band. It was it was tremendous to hear it all just come. To, I've got to say, to anyone planning to do this, I highly recommend it because okay. to hear... A large band appearing one instrument at a time and gradually building is quite magical. Yeah. Well, let's have a listen. This is uh, one track off uh, this album. It's called The Call. That's all you. Yeah. It's just awesome. <laughs> Congratulations. What do you think when you hear it back like that now, kind of detached from it? Yeah, I'm just hearing a big band. I'm not thinking, oh, I played this, I played that, or listening to any bits. Yeah. I find I just listen to the music as though it was someone else's album. Yeah. There's a great debate in musical circles about the degree to which technology and all it offers is manufacturing music. Lots of bands are reverting. For instance, I've heard over the last 12 months they're going back to tape for the sound of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are obvious great benefits for you. Where do you stand in this great debate? Oh, it's easy. Uh, they're all tools. I mean, if we went back just a ways, I'm talking a couple of centuries, um, we could go back to before trumpets had valves, you know, the buttons on them, and the yes. natural trumpet, they called it, was just a tube. Now, it was limited to playing in only certain keys, or the natural horn, for instance, the Mozart horn concerto, originally played on the natural horn. Today, they played on the French horn, which has all the valves. And you'd get someone, if we picked the right point in history, you'd go, oh, those new fandangled trumpets with the buttons, it's not really music anymore, it's a machine there, you know. And, of course, today, we just think of that as the trumpet. The fact of the matter is it's always been the same and always will be. People make music, yes. and they use whatever tools are available to them. Now, if you get a tool that allows you to be less and less creative because it's been programmed, if you like, to make decisions, uh, or if, you know, which is a silly thing to say, to, to do certain things, yeah. then, yes, the music starts to lose humanity. But if a musician, a person, stays firmly in control of the whole thing and, in fact, uses the tools to allow them to do things they couldn't do before. I mean, before multi-track recording, this album couldn't exist. Oh. And so you'd say, we'll never get to know what it's like to hear a big band that thinks 
the one way, that breathes the one way, that has exactly the same concept of how this piece should sound. What an amazing, wonderful thing. It's not how all big bands should be, of course, because it's also great to hear what it sounds like when you get 16 different concepts. That's a wonderful thing too. But I guess what I'm getting is the technology allowed something musical to happen that couldn't happen without it. And the technology didn't in any way dilute the idea it it facilitated it yeah and so it's to do with what you how you choose to use it the more i've learnt about music and spoken to musicians over the years the more i've understand that many are gifted of course but all the great ones just practice 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 it's <laughs> such a slog can you give me an insight of how that's worked out in your life talk to me about that well, firstly, I have a uh, I have an aversion to work uh, in all its forms. Um, I could connect with that. <laughs> yep, absolutely. I think a lot of people yes. can. But I've been lucky enough to manage to sort of actually avoid it most of my <laughs> life you, and still make a living. Um, <laughs> and what I mean by that, of course, I don't count the playing of music as work, and mm. it's an attitude. And and I, in answer to your question about practice, I would answer that I've almost never practiced. I have spent many many hours with an instrument in my hands or on my lips or sitting at an instrument, absolutely. And for the outside observer, they might have said, he's doing a lot of practice. But I wasn't. To me, I was doing a lot of playing. Yeah. But it is hours and hours. Oh, yeah. You've yeah. got to spend a lot of time. What do they, they say? Repetition is the mother of skill. Yeah. You Funny want to do something that. well, you've got to do it a lot of times. <laughs> there are lots of us who played in the brass band at school. I had tenor mm-hmm. horn and trombone. Excellent. But many of us strayed into the garage <laughs> band and rock and roll. Did you stray or... Or what was it about brass that kept you there? Do you know what it was? Well, it's, it's interesting because we've just discussed, you know, that I added saxophone and then bass, double bass and piano and guitar and everything else. It's the same with the styles of music. I've played on albums uh, in rock bands and folk bands and I do a lot of classical performances. Rather than straying, I just added And I did it with instruments and I've done it with styles too. So yes, I got into a garage rock band, but that didn't mean I stopped playing in the brass band or playing in a jazz band or everything else. So I've just added more and more styles, more and more instruments. Was there ever another career that you thought of following or that your parents wanted you to follow? Uh, certainly not that not my parents wanted me to follow. Mm. They, um, their, their ambitions were, were modest, try and stay out of trouble. Um, <laughs> wise. Be, become, become self-supporting and stay out of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I must confess this. Sometimes when I've seen you play and you hit those stratospheric high notes, mm. I'm, I'm a bit worried. I think, are you going to blow a gasket here, James? No, no, no. I, I did that when I was young. I, I blew a blood vessel playing high and I, oh. I've developed, I've worked out how to like I think a lot of people do that, that you know, go a long way with whatever it is they're doing, they work out the easy way. Yeah. You know, you watch um, you watch someone do something to a fairly high level and, and you can be pretty sure they've worked out the economical or, or the way to do it that won't hurt them. <laughs> I'm immensely relieved. One of the many other things that you've taken on is the development of musical instruments. And mm-hmm. this is both high-end musicianship meets precision engineering. Mm. It's a beautiful thing. Oh, I love it. I bet um, you do. I've been involved for some years with um, being involved in the design of trumpets, and um, and uh, more recently, I've I've in the last couple of years, I've gotten with an Austrian company named Schagel, mm. and uh, they make beautiful instruments. You know, in this is just outside Vienna, 
and they've been doing it for many decades, and uh, they've been mostly known in the classical world, and most of the major symphony orchestras around the world, their trumpet sections play Chagall trumpets, but they wanted to get more into the jazz world and more into that, and so I got with them and have worked on the design of some instruments, and what I love is, apart from just designing some new trumpets and trombones and what you would refer to as in a standard instruments, like instruments that already exist, I had some wacky ideas, and I said, what happens if we make a double-sized trumpet? What happens if we take the valves off a trumpet and throw them on a trombone but leave the slide there as well and all this sort of stuff? And much to my delight, um, Robert Shargle, who's the sort of the uh, the hands-on guy there, said, oh, I love that. Let's try it. Yeah. You know, and so we've uh, the bass trumpet, as it's known, um, is out and it's a beautiful instrument to play. In fact, I do one track on Snappy 2 where I, it's a, just a duet, just guitar and bass trumpet. Oh, beautiful. And it's a, it's a beautiful sound. And, uh, yeah, so we're, we're trying the super bone, as it's becoming known, as is coming. Okay. So we might fun. try a bit of that towards the end of our conversation. Mm. On Open House, we're with James Morrison, I'm so pleased to say. James, as I said before, you grew up as the son of a church minister in a very musical family. How did that music and faith play out then in your own life? Well, it was interesting, rather than any sort of decisions having to be made, and I know it's not the question you ask, but it is a question that gets asked often, the decision between sort of being part of the church or being a jazz musician and things like that, it never really came up. Um, the the being Growing up in that family and having faith is just a way of life. Yes. And you can have that way of life while you're being a, uh, a you know a deep sea diver or a trumpeter or you know a radio <laughs> so personality. Yeah, yes. it it uh, doesn't matter. You just take that with you, and it's it's more not what you do; it's how you do it. If yes. you have faith, and so it was never really. Of course, what effect it has is the same effect it has on your whole life. It uh, it makes it all have a, a much more meaning and um, it directs you. How does it sustain you? Would you say? Well, it's, that's just it. It sustains me in whatever I'm doing. And so the, the life of a touring musician needs some sustaining. <laughs> it has its, everyone's life, of course, has its challenges, but the, the challenges of this life are sort of well documented and, and many have fallen by the wayside as far as there's, a, um, you know, in ending up in drinking and drugs and all sorts of things that tend to be part of the entertainment industry. And um, so sort of sustaining you to keep your eye on the ball, so to speak, and, and remember you're there to make music and to spread the gift you've been given. Does it paint a bigger picture for you as you go about that life? It does. And that's the biggest thing I find when when uh, trouble strikes when you get too small in your picture and you start just seeing today or this moment even as, um, you know, um, all that there is. And when yes. you, I zoom out and look at my life and even greater than that, you know, humanity is sometimes, and it sounds terribly grand, but it's just, it's, um, it's a way of seeing what you're doing today as a small part of something much bigger. And it, uh, it kind of takes the pressure off in a way. You go, I can just relax here and just be who I am and do what I do. And amidst all the adulation... It's a good way to keep humble. Oh yes, well, <laughs> lots to be humble about. If you, if we've got lots to be humble <laughs> about, and the thing is, I'm so aware all the time. Fortunately, and this is again, otherwise it would be a self-defeating statement. Um, humbly, I have, <laughs> I have recognised that uh, that the uh, the whole aspect of fame, if you like, and everything is all to do with what people think about you. It's nothing yeah. to do with you actually, and I'm very aware that. All of the wonderful, and they are wonderful, things that I do are a gift. Yes. And so that allows them to be as wonderful 
as as they possibly can. If I had to believe they came from me, they'd be limited to whatever greatness I could imagine for myself. Once I realize it's a gift that's coming through me, there is no limit. Great answer. You and your brother John, who's a very talented and very entertaining drummer, I've seen yes. him many times. You're quite open to sticking in a bit of gospel music or Christian music into some of your sets, and you say that people who have no faith, nothing to do with any of that, are often quite moved by that, Mm. inexplicably sometimes. Yes. Well, I think you're right, but I think the explanation is that they uh, can't help be being affected. Let's face it, we're, we're all human and when you've got people playing that kind of music from a from a position of what it means to them, yes. you would have to be not human or perhaps no longer here to not be affected by that. And, of course, it's to varying degrees for people depending on how hardened they are you know, in their <laughs> attitude. But I find generally people just become overwhelmed and, and, and taken up by the spirit of that music and what it means. And uh, even though they don't have any reference point for it, some of them, they, they can't help but being affected by it, which is a wonderful thing. We've often discussed, I discussed with Doug Parkinson last year on Open House, the degree to which gospel music influenced Absolutely. so much else. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Oh, no, it's it's through so much of our music, and um, really it's hard to find a music that it doesn't touch. And that's as it should be, because really so much of our lives are the same. Yeah. A couple of quick questions. Mm-hmm. Apart from the trumpet, or your variations of trumpet, mm. second favourite musical instrument? Do you know, I don't have a second favourite because I actually don't have a favourite. Trumpet is the popular one, yes, but okay. but for me it's more like thinking of them, but the only way I can describe it for people is like children. They're all different, but you know... Um, you love them all. Yeah, you love them all in different ways for different reasons. Yeah. Most glorious performing moment? Oh... Hard to answer. Yeah. I mean, there are those big moments like the opening of the Olympic Games where I'm asked to write and play the opening fanfare. What a great honour. And it's hard to do a bigger gig. But then can anything ever surpass that first solo when you're eight years old and you stand up there for the first time and play? You know, that's <laughs> that's a big moment too. So, yeah, hard, hard to pick one. I'll I, take two. Hopefully, I'll... hopefully, no, I'd like to say hopefully it hasn't happened Still yet. Still to come, yeah. Yes. Most embarrassing moment performing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a long list of those. All the things that go the wrong over the years. Yes. I mean, playing the wrong national anthem for the uh, Davis Cup final when I was asked to play the Spanish national anthem and I played the revolutionary hymn. Um, How come that happened? They gave me the wrong music. Um, and so, uh, yeah, someone said, here's the Spanish national anthem. They looked it up, got it, and it was the old one. And you duly practised it. Absolutely, and learnt it and played it from memory. It was beautiful, oh. if I do say so myself. The trouble <laughs> was the words to this hymn include, let's kill the king. And that's the king who was watching. Um, king and Carlos. his response? Uh, he wasn't happy. No. Um, so, yeah, that, that was a little bit of an embarrassment. Classic. <laughs> Classic. Favourite performer you've played with? Oh, do you know there are so many great? I've really had the privilege to play with so much, of, so many of my record collection, from Ray Charles to BB King to to, um, to Dizzy Gillespie, but probably uh, I'd have to say Don Burrows because it wasn't just a performer to play with; he was a mentor and still is. Yes. And uh, at the age of sixteen, I started playing with him, and he taught me so much. And we still get together now. He'll be eighty-four this year, and we still get together and play, and it's uh, it's wonderful. What a giant! Mm. When you have the opportunity to go out for some musical fun as an audience member. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where do you go? Who do you see here? Do you know, I said I'd love to have some wonderful answer to answer for you, but sadly 
I uh, it's pretty much always for work. I'm, I'm the artistic director of the Queensland Music Festival, yes. and so when I go out to performance, I have to say, no, I need to see this, this, and this to check them out for the festival. <laughs> so it's all work. I mean, I love it all yeah, musically. It's still fun. But uh, you know what? The real answer is, given a night off, I probably wouldn't go out and hear any music. I'd probably take the opportunity to stay home. Yes, <laughs> that's right. I get that. <laughs> Can we talk about a couple of your passions? First, as a mentor, you sponsor yearly scholarships for young people involved with numbers of youth bands nurturing young musos. It's very clearly important for you. Why is that? Well... I guess there's the the simple answer of of giving something back. You know, you've uh, gone so far in this industry and in this art form to uh, because I love the art form, I want it to continue, and so I need to pass on what I know. You can't learn what I know from a book, just as you, I couldn't learn what Don Burroughs knew from a book. I needed yeah. to spend time with him, and so there's that. But then also, just far more selfishly and, and wonderfully, in a way, is who doesn't want to be standing there in front of some young people when the lights come on? Totally. You know, when the inspiration hits their eyes and they get moved by the music and you can see people deciding right in front of you, this is going to be part of my life. And you're a part of that decision. You can't, you can't, uh, I couldn't miss out on that. Yeah. The other passion that I mentioned at the top, I've got to ask you about it. Mm. You was this inner rev head. Or, how did you put it before? <laughs> motoring enthusiast, please. Right, of course, yes. A little bit of decorum. As a motoring enthusiast. Thank you. How and where did that start and how far has it gone? Oh, it's, it's, that goes way back. I mean, I was a boy that played with toy cars and planes and, and boats and, you know, proper boy, as yes, they say. Yeah. And um, I still, to this day, fly myself around a lot of the time. Do you? Cool yeah. stuff. And um, and uh, drive racing cars whenever I can. I've had the opportunity to do quite a bit of racing and rallying, uh, rallying and love it. And I've been very fortunate to be able to sort of indulge that passion in having some wonderful cars throughout my life. My my wife recently counted them, <laughs> and I believe the why did she count them? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now that's in a supportive in, manner, in, no in, doubt. In a supportive manner, yes, of course. Does a wife ever do anything not in a supportive <laughs> manner? Let's not get into that. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I think there may have been some accusatory element to this of, do you realise how many cars you've and had? And the number was? 107. Good grief. Um, yes, not at once, but over the over my lifetime, which someone worked out is still about six cars at any one time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but um I just love them, and I love them all. I'm not, I'm not a car snob. I've had the old VH Valiant and loved it just as much yeah. as the, when I've had the opportunity to have a Ferrari. And they've all got their personality. What fun. Mm. I wonder actually where you get all your time for your passions and pursuits. What's your secret of keeping all the balls up in the air? That's a good question. If I could quantify that or write it down, I think I might have a bestseller on my Cause, hands. Because I'd like to that. Yes, I think I would. <laughs> all I'd have is this feeling that um, of looking for synergy all the time. I rarely do anything that's just one thing at once. I mean, today I'm here talking to you um, about music, about life. And if someone said to me, what did you do in this time we spent together? I'd say, I promoted Shargal Instruments. I talked about my new album and let people know about that. I hopefully enthused some young people out there about music. We Hope talked so, about yeah. faith. We talk, yeah. In other words, I can say, we weren't just doing one thing. We had a lot of stuff done. And I feel like that all the time. And sometimes it's just like this from talking. Other times it's quite practical. While I'm doing one thing, I make sure it covers several areas. And yeah. if I need to get together with a school band, 
and uh, and talk to them about a performance that's coming up we're going to do together. I'll take the opportunity to invite along some other people that have been wanting to get with me and hear some things. I'll say, come along, I'll be telling these people, listen at the same time, yes. and so on and so on. And just I'm always looking for massive synergies, the more things I can put together. And you know what? You end up at the end of the day having done 16 times as much as you actually did, <laughs> which is what's on the album. I hope that's good, yeah. Okay, so let's go out with this bass trumpet. What's this track? Oh, this track is Someday My Prince Will Come. Okay, James Morrison, thank you so much for joining us on thank Open you. House. Thank you. 
We hope you enjoyed this open house podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.